Hey there, welcome to Groundbreakers, a bi-weekly podcast that explores transformations in where, how, and why we work, and the intersection of DEIB within our workplaces and spaces. I'm your host, Shelley Wright, Chief Diversity Officer at Unispace. With each episode of Groundbreakers, I'll be talking to fascinating people, all of them groundbreakers in their industries. We won't have all of the answers, but we'll have some provocative and pretty entertaining conversations. We're going to have a lot of fun. In today's episode of Groundbreakers, I talk with Pushpa Gowda. Pushpa is the Global Technology Engagement Director for JLL Technologies. She has over 25 years' experience in commercial real estate with a focus on employee experience, sales operations, and strategic planning. In addition to her technology role, Pushpa has been a leader in the JLL Business Resource Groups. Over the last seven years, she has been chair of the America's Women's Business Network, a founding member of the U.S. Gen All Intergenerational Group and currently is one of the leaders for JLL Technologies' global DEI efforts and Global Women Transforming Tech Group. Pushpa is a true icon in the industry. I'm so happy I had a chance to sit down and talk to her. Welcome to Groundbreakers, Pushpa Gowda. I am a big fan, Pushpa. I am delighted to have you here with us today. Thank you, Shelley. I'm glad to be here. There, there's so much to talk about in, in what I just mentioned about uh, the work streams that you've done and, and the groups and organizations you've been part of. I want to start with this, though. As I was reading those things off, um, one of them um, was that you helped launch the Gen All Intergenerational Resource Group. So in preparation of talking with you, um, our conversation today, you know, I did a deep dive. I did a lot of Googling <laughs> of Pushpa. And I watched a lot of Pushpa videos and I read a lot of Pushpa thought pieces. And there was one thing that you said on an in- interview. Um, you said, I'm a Gen Xer, but I closely identify with millennials. Can you talk a little bit about why that's the case? And will you share a, l- a little bit about uh, the work that you did with the Gen All ERG? Sure. My comment is largely around, you know, everybody tries to put people in buckets and just because you're labeled as something that must be how you are, right? And I feel Mm. like, especially with technology, which helps bridge the gap across everything, but of course, across generations, it level sets a lot of things. And I am very much of more the millennial where I would rather do everything through technology. I'm okay with, you know, doing everything virtually and not necessarily just, you know, being in person. And I've adapted very well to that lifestyle. I have been working remotely for 16 years now. So that's a lot of where some of my comments come from from yeah. is that I've been part of the so the the mobile mor- workforce I've been part of that mobile workforce work from home work from anywhere for a very long time and then in terms of the work that I did with Gen All, Gen All is about bringing the generations together in the workplace and that there is value in all generations and the knowledge and what they bring to the table and, and making sure that we don't lose institutional knowledge as people retire or leave the firm. And so that mm-hmm. it, it's just bringing everyone along together. And that was where we realized, you know, let's create a group to really focus on that and help people. That's fantastic. Um you know, tech. I'm I'm 51 years old, and um, technology. I'm one of those people that it kind of freaks me out. Um, 
back in the day, I, I recall making this grand statement when, when someone I was working with said, you need to get an email address. And I made a declaration. I'll never have an email address. Just fax me. <laughs> and, you know, now I, I look back on that. It's embarrassing. But, um, you know, I've, I've come a long way. And, and, and I, my question is, I think you and I are pretty close to the same age. Mm-hmm. Did it ever scare you? I don't remember. No, no, never. Not at all. I mean, I also grew up, you know, loving Tetris and Frogger and different kinds of games. Um, And I had an older brother who was taking apart an Apple IIc when we were like 10 years old. So it was always around me. And, and, you know, I, I am not the first to embrace new things, though. I'm quite happy to just you know, handle my business and be quiet and, and disconnected, right. quite frankly. Oh, that's <laughs> and so, so it's a, it's a, it's a very big contradiction for me to be in the IT world. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. You, the duality of Pushpa. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned your brother tinkering with a, with a computer. Um, what did your, what, what did your folks do? What, you know, what were they like? Because I'm, I'm, no one was tinkering with a computer in, in my house. I grew up on a farm in Kansas and, we, you know, we were running tractors and, um, you know, so I kind of want to explore a little bit about, you know, kind of the environmental impact of of that being kind of second nature and something that you saw other people doing. What did your folks do? So my parents came from India um, and my father was a doctor and my mom is a real estate agent, residential real estate agent. And I'm just happened to be in commercial real estate. She happens to be in residential real estate. Um, but yeah, you know, I, and, and so both of them have always done their own thing. And so I've learned from them to kind of do my own thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've been with my company now for over 25 years, but I do my own thing within the company, so to speak. Right. Um, and that's, that's, really how it went was, you know, my parents were new to this country. And so they didn't really impose a lot on me and my brothers. It was, you figure it out, you know, whatever comes and and how we handle it. And we were always encouraged to do that. So it, it just came naturally. And, and then, you know, I had no visions of being in technology that all happened about, you know, with the company, quite frankly, yeah. I, I, I joined as a, an administrative assistant. And I thought that within a couple of months, I would do a real job search after. So this was like a temporary stepping stone after undergrad. And it's just become a quarter century stepping stone. (laughs) That's fascinating that I I mean, I feel like when I was kind of digging into what you do, I can't really find a counterpart of yours. It's not obvious. Maybe there are people who kind of cover off at other companies, kind of some of the tasks that you do and some of your work strings, streams. But it seems like, you know, and based on what you're saying, you really kind of built your own kind of work streams at JLL. Is that true? Absolutely. I've, I've, I've been very lucky to be an entrepreneur within a 240-year-old company. Um, oh, you know, I, so I, I have... I've been encouraged to find mm-hmm. my own way and, you know, to identify where there are gaps or where there are things we can do that we've never done before, but we can prove that they can be done. And, you know, a lot of it has just been leading through influence, quite frankly, because you you, you figure out how to convey the so what of things to people. Mm-hmm. And if they're important enough 
then that's how I end up leading things and, and making them happen. Cause I believe in them. That's, that's yeah. a lot of what happens, right? Yeah. Well, and another thing I noticed about you is that you are a storyteller. Um, you, you said in one, one of your interviews that you, you're not, you said, I'm not a technology expert. Um, but I, I can, I don't want to. I can play one on TV. Is kind of well. You you basically were talking about like championing technology and that you don't have to be all in the weeds of it, but you you know how to advance the conversations and the concepts and make it um, accessible for everyone. And um, that's you know I just I love that you've gotten in there and that you've been able to. Someone has many people I'm sure have empowered you to just get in there and do good work and turn a lot of rocks over and figure out how you can make things better. Love that. An entrepreneur inside a a pretty big, um, long lasting uh, corporation. Incredible. So so in 2018, you were um, you were talking to Sprint's Breaking Next series on Cheddar. And now, you know, pre-COVID, you made five predictions for the future of the office. Yes. Um, ch- that there would be a chief happiness officer, um, that that would be kind of a new and emerging discipline. Um, number two was rise of the hipster office. Number three was every company is a tech company. Number four, robot colleagues. And number five, hyper personalization. How many of those um, predictions emerged and manifested? Um, how many went away? And then I want to ask you to bring out your crystal ball and make some new ones. Oh, geez. Well, I would say I think all of them have come true to one way or another. And they weren't they weren't mine, so I won't take credit for them. Like you mentioned before, I'm a good mouthpiece. I, I believe in being able to be a commercial and entice people for what the value is, right? Um, I think for these five predictions, I really do think all of them, we're living them right now. And of I course- 2020 accelerated a lot of things, right? Mm. Um, And I think when you look at the war on talent, you look at the great resignation, this Mm. chief happiness officer concept is more relevant than ever. However, it's not just an officer. It's entire HR functions that are dedicated to this. You might hear culture and engagement groups, right? Yeah, That's yeah. all around people's happiness because we recognize, and, and by the way, particularly with lockdowns and pandemics and realizing that people can work from home. So what is it that makes your company special that helps them feel that they belong within your company mm-hmm. and that they are mm-hmm. part of the family? And so I, I, really, really feel like it's not much of a prediction, but that's like my going forward is that this focus on people and our happiness and 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 yeah. remembering that we are people and not just here to advance people's, you know, the, the bottom line and profits and whatnot. I think that's more important than ever because yeah. what's also becoming clear to people is that when you focus on these things and when your employees are happier, your bottom line is much healthier. Right, right. We, the the facts are in. Correct. It's good. It's not just the right thing to do. It's the smart business thing to do. outcomes. Fully right. So supported. you're right. So chief happiness offer. There has been. Um, we've watched companies around the globe with more um, passion and resourcing. They've put a premium on well being, um, yeah. and that is um, that's a mandate now, right? That's yeah. not a nice to have. It's a have to have. And it's mental well being, physical well being, financial well being, like. It, it, it spans all over, right? And yeah. ten years ago, we wouldn't really be talking about this at work, right? Or and and the few companies who might be, um, some of it might have been kind of um, 
I don't want to say half-hearted, but like a, a side of the desk initiative or exactly. extracurricular, or if we have time to get to it, it is now, you know, part of the way that we have to do business. So number two, rise of the hipster office, given through the lens of so much virtual working. And as we kind of come back after COVID or in whatever our new kind of COVID reality is, um, cause who knows if COVID's ever going away? I don't true, know. True. True. But what do you, what do you, what about that prediction? How is, what does that look like to you? I stand by it more so than ever, right? <laughs> because of what I was just referring to, you need a reason for people to come back to the office and having it be like that old style corporate is not going to work. And so it's not just tech companies that are relaxing the style or have relaxed, I should say, and set yeah. the tone for that. But it, it, it's a common, it's just common. And it's yeah. not just about how you dress, but it's also just being your authentic self somehow feels like it's more, you know, it's not your, your typical expected corporate behavior. And honestly, a lot of that is what comes into it is, you know, bringing your whole self to work, but also being yourself at work. And that includes what are the different activities that are available? What's the food that's available? Right. You know, what are the different areas that are available for you to do your work or, or hang out and meet other people? So there's just so many different ways of it being just a more relaxed, easier atmosphere. And, and so, yes, 100%. So number three, the rise of every company is a tech company. That's true. I mean, that's just fact 100%. of the matter. You were... Uh, you were a truth teller on that one as well. Robot colleagues. Yep. We, I mean, we have them. You just don't realize, like, anytime you're you're talking with a chat bot online, I mean, it says bot because it's a robot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it just happens to not be like a physical having the arms and legs and all that kind of stuff. But inside, it's all just a computer, right? right so yeah. what we're talking about is artificial intelligence and machine learning more uh, being more available to help people, especially for those things that, you know, can be scripted and followed through a flowchart. So yeah. we're implementing a lot of them just within JLL. And we know that our clients are and, and it's just, we all experience it even when we're shopping online or booking travel, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so four out of four. And the fifth is hyper personalization. Talk to me about I mean, I got to imagine that the ways that you're working with your clients, um, you know, you talk a lot about biometrics yes. and how that can be, you know, the, the on-ramp to really providing that hyper-personalization for, for your teams and your clients' teams. Can you talk a little bit about that and where that is right now? Yeah, I think part of it is right now, I think some of it is more at the just making comfort be a focus in the work environment, right? Yeah. And then that will end up leading to individual comfort. So on that level, in terms of hyper-personalization. So what I mean by that right now is things like smart windows that are being used. And so as soon as the sun starts coming in too much, you can actually shade it so that you can see the beautiful view, but you can block the heat from coming in. Yeah. Or yeah. you have air quality control monitors that are making sure that people are staying healthy and whatnot. I feel like it's still going to go a step further where when you sit down at your area that you're in for the day, it might play the music that you like. There might be holograms that are photos of, you know, your Ooh, personal, yes. you know, what, what matters to you, what yeah. motivates and inspires you. And so that could be like your workspace that just comes to life no matter where you are. So Love it's it. those kinds of things that I think are still very much happening because again, 
It's all about the employee. And if people can work from anywhere, that in itself is a personalization because mm -hmm. we're making mm -hmm. it such that, you know, as long as you have internet, you mm -hmm. can use whatever you want and be able to work and access everything that you need to access. That's the vision that we're going for and that we've largely been able to achieve by fast tracking things because of pandemic. Yeah, I love it. And my personal would be, I like, I'm cold. I'm always cold. I would love to have a, a heated zone where I am. And, you know, push, but through the DEIB lens, in terms of that, the, the ways to personalize, you know, when we're thinking of people in the neurodivergent communities, mm -hmm. um, you know, that stuff really matters, lighting and sound frequency. And, um, you know, it, it'll be exciting, as, as you mentioned, as that kind of advances and goes to the next level, um, how that can, you know, create that inclusive uh, belonging for for folks, more folks. That's right, for sure. And and we're talking about things, even you know, carpets and whatnot. You know, <laughs> making sure that people aren't don't have any barriers when they're walking around the office, and making sure everything blends right. together. And even from a visual perspective, colors and whatnot. So yes, yeah. all of that really comes into play. It's really good stuff. I mean, you know, and let's, let's talk about women. Um, you know, we know that women have left the workforce in droves during COVID. Um, it's called the, you know, the great resignation. And yeah. um, we all know that millions of women have left the workforce. Um, according to the World Economic Forum in April of 2021, they reported that the global gender gap is not expected to close for another 136 years. And the economic gender gap is going to take 268 years. Obviously, you know, this has been devastating and there have been double whammies for um, for women of color and other, you know, un underrepresented populations. Can you talk to us a little bit about how technology might be used to re regain some of that ground to accelerate some of those gaps? Yeah, I mean, I think from a hiring and recruiting perspective, I think that there's a lot of technology. So for example, we've recently implemented some artificial intelligence that helps us remove the bias of mm -hmm. when people are, when we're doing recruiting for different yeah. positions, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that helps a lot of people because it is about being able to bring people back into the workforce, right? And yeah. not have them uh, be penalized in any kind of way or overlooked. And so a lot of these kinds of technologies are what companies and enterprises need to look at from a larger standpoint to make a difference. Yeah, so I think from, yeah. from those kinds of angles, tech's going to make a big difference and does already. Yeah. If you had to, if you had to identify when the conversations about unconscious biases began to happen at JLL, when would you say that was? Because I, I say this knowing that JLL has been a thought leader in this space. Yeah. Um, do you, but do you remember kind of generally when that was? I mean, I know I went through the unconscious bias training about five years ago, and mm -hmm. I wasn't the first, that's for sure. sure. So, yeah. um, but I think it's come a long way in the sense, and, and it's funny you bring up that specific example, because that is one of the things that we are now pushing out to everyone as, you know, let's see if we can get to 100% of unconscious bias training for mm -hmm. all our technologies people by the end of 2022. And so I've been working with uh, our HR partners to come up with a plan on how do you make that happen? You start with the leaders and, you know, we've got yeah. a campaign planned and all these kinds of things. Because, you know, when you think about a lot of 
what the efforts are that are being made. It's being made by a small group of people, but it doesn't mean that there's only a small group that care or believe in it. Quite often, they don't know what to do or they don't know how to help mobilize. And when you do things like even unconscious bias training for an hour, it is amazing how much it opens up people's eyes and awareness. I mean, every time that I look at these kinds of things, I'm still learning how to be a better ally or or supporter in any way, or how to be better for myself, quite frankly, right? Because there's a lot of that being uh, a woman of color in commercial real estate in the US and also in technology. So there's a lot of those kinds of things. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the unconscious bias training, um, you, we're, you know, we all have these unconscious biases, me included, you know, er, you know chief diversity officers, um, people who do your work, people who are the CEOs, the fin- we all have them. And, and I'm a big fan of shared experiences. And, and what we've been doing at Unispace is we've launched our first um, among our leadership, and it's about to be rolled out um, through the rest of the company this year. But Getting all of our leadership in a room to to go through this training together, like you said, just one hour of having that shared experience then allows our teams, and I'm watching it happen post the training, they're kind of reaching out to one another and saying, remember that thing we heard in that training? It just gives language and just gives, again, another on-ramp into having these conversations. And um, I've watched a lot of our team members probably go from thinking they didn't have any unconscious biases to to that earth-shattering moment and you kind of watch them feel you can see their devastation to realize that oh yeah. god I do have them and 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 that's okay and we all do and uh you know it's um I I just really appreciate J- JLL's um thought leadership in this you you all have been doing this work and, you know, um, black excellence and women's yes. leadership for so long. I just uh, admire what you're doing, you know, and, and an adjacent thought to on many ways to COVID, how COVID is, you know, disproportionately caused negative impacts on women and other diverse populations. Is it is it fair to say that what we've all been through in the past couple of years has conversely set into motion some ideologies and new norms that might ultimately create some really big advantages and advances in in equity and equality. I mean, one hundred percent, right? I mean, just just the, the the sheer fact that remote working is now a standard. It is now highly accepted. It also opens up the doors for so many more people who can live in lower cost areas and, and still apply to the same jobs that someone in a big city like New York, Chicago, or LA would apply to. And we can have people in the middle of Nebraska now applying to the same jobs. So even from a geographic perspective, this opens up things. And if you think about people who even have had to relocate for a variety of reasons, they've had to relocate to remote areas and then being able to actually apply to jobs still, that's huge. And we know it works. Correct. You know, we were we were our workforce was pressure tested, and we now know that. You know, I I think the general kind of consensus is being in person. There's a real value to that. And again, I was I was in our office this week, and it just felt so great to be with my colleagues, some of whom I've worked with for a year and a half and hadn't met until this week. And Mm -hmm. it does feel good. On the other hand, if I've really created some incredible bonds with people that I have never met in person. So we know 
the work can get done. And uh, yeah, and and not only does it open up people in Nebraska, which, you know, I'm a fan of the Midwest, I'm from Kansas, um, people with varied abilities, people Correct. who, you know, were never able to make it into an office space before. This is um, an important, beautiful byproduct, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of JLL's technologies, uh, your DEI work, um, and I know you're heavily involved and have been for some time, is there one initiative that's happening right now that excites you most? There's a few. I mean, <laughs> I will say there's two things in particular, just around engagement, involvement, culture, building our culture, feeling the the the, the belonging sense of mm-hmm. where can everybody be involved and where can everyone participate. So there's a couple of things I'm excited about. On a simple level, we launched something called Virtual Coffee last year. And it's so simple, meaning people just sign up and then every month, they get someone new to talk to for 20 minutes. And it's just someone what? in the company from anywhere. But because we're growing so fast yeah. and we're, we are global. And how do you get a chance to meet people? And this has nothing to do with pandemic because generally right. speaking, someone in Dallas might never meet someone in Frankfurt, Germany. But right. through our program, you're matched with someone different for 20 minutes every month. And we now have been live for 13 months and we have over a thousand people around the world participating every month. And so it's really, really cool that every month, so you know, you're just expanding your network and you're, and I've had the opportunity where I've talked to a few people and then wouldn't you know, within a couple of weeks, I have a business reason where, oh, I know someone who has that capability that and the next thing you know, we're working together or partnering together or something amazing is happening that wouldn't have happened. Okay. And for me, I am big about connecting. I feel like yeah. I've made a career by connecting dots or connecting people. And this has been, you know, just really amazing for me to be so simple, but yeah. have the the feedback is tremendous. Um at a bigger level, we've been doing things like our first ever hackathon. Um, and we, oh. so for the technology area, right? But it was also, this isn't just about developers and engineers. This is about salespeople. This is about go to market. This is about project managers and strategists and HR people talking about how your solution might work. So it was really about bringing everyone together. And we're going to do it again. This is going to be our second annual and we're going to do it three times bigger and so much better. So you can tell, I get excited about a lot of these things. You you do, your face is uh, lighting up. I (laughs) I know this is a podcast and not everyone can see Pushpa's face, but I can. And she's absolutely effervescent when when talking about these issues. I love the virtual coffee. That's so (laughs) smart and so cool. I was reading about something you said about some people avoiding making tech decisions um, and trying to wait it out to see what happens. Yes. Uh, what are some of the perils of waiting it out? How difficult is it for companies to course correct if they happen to jump on a technology idea and it doesn't work for them? Or maybe technology comes along and kind of makes that last thing obsolete. Or mm-hmm. What do you do in those moments? I think the good thing about technology these days is that 
a lot of them talk to each other. They're built on on very basic. In I'm not I'm oversimplifying, of course, right? But right. things are done in such a way that it's expected technologies can talk to one another. What does that mean? It means that you don't have to buy one technology that does it all. You don't have to try to find a solution that then you have to fit 20 different processes or business lines or anything into, right? Right. And so the recommendation there is more be very targeted in what you're doing and make sure you start with a pilot and a proof of concept before you just you know, sink into something or really commit to it. That's one piece of it, right? The other piece of it is, you know, not making any decisions that that's just not going to get you anywhere because it's going, if you're paralyzed by making a decision now, (laughs) right? right. when are you ever going to? And so you have to get in there again, make it more about the bite size or something small. And, and that's just what I believe in in general for, for anything that you haven't done before. I'm very much a dive in and get in there and, and then just, you'll start learning more and you'll start figuring it out, but don't overcommit in a way that, you know, You've just said you're going to spend $3 million when you haven't even spent 30000 to figure right. out if this works for a small group. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking back to when I was in, in high school, you know, VHS players yes. um, were a big deal. And then there was also at the same time beta tape players. Mm-hmm. And uh, those who bought the beta machine, they just missed out because they had to got, you know, they had to they had to just revamp their entire catalog. So it's not really like that is what you're saying. These technologies tend to speak to one another, be compatible, build upon one another. Yeah. And if you're going for something big like that, then, you know, you're probably you're not as risk averse as some of the others who are doing nothing. Right. Right. So it's just a big spectrum and and it really does depend on your comfort level. And so, you know, if you're not, if you're not familiar or used to making tech investments, then there's a lot of stable choices that are out there for people to get started with. Safe choices. Exactly. Choices that I might make. Well, you know what? It, it's it's really looking at what are the big players in your area doing? And that's what we look at is what yeah. are the trusted top four things? Not even the technologies, but what are the areas of technology that people, you know, are they focusing on recruiting? Are they mm-hmm. focusing on yeah. client satisfaction? Like where are increasing sales, lead generation? Don't know, yeah. but that's where you can start digging into those kinds of things. And and there's always, you know, you don't have to be the first unless you want right. to be. Right. Unless you want to be. Well, when you're talking about like the, you know, what are those things? What are those ways to, um, what kind of business drivers are they? You know, you mentioned talent acquisition. If you ask me, that is the single most important thing that a company can be doing right now. And again, we talked about unconscious biases before and how do we kind of take that off the table as best we can. But how do we- And also, how do you diversify your industries long-term if you're not starting at the recruiting, at at early careers too, right? I mean, obviously recruiting covers all levels, but if you're not focused on early careers and if you're not focused on how can you long-term affect change, then yes, we, we won't be getting any closer to filling that gap that you were mentioning of a couple hundred years projection. And especially in industry like real estate, um, you know, it's not historically been known to be the most diverse, um, the most inclusive. Um, there's, you know, it's been... Uh, it, I can agree with that. I've I mean, <laughs> you, you could write several books on this, I'm sure. But, you know, in terms of 
see, you know, those of us in this industry, we see everything, like you said, you see a hotel, you see a movie theater, you know, an airport, you see it all through the lens of you're a practitioner in this industry. How do we responsibly and sustainably make sure that we as an industry who has always put a premium on square footage and, uh, you know, we, we want to build your new space. We want to tear it all out and build it all again mm-hmm. when that's counter to, you know, actually reusing pieces. And how do you, your, what's your personal philosophy on how we as an industry who, again, has always put a premium on more, more, more square footage, yeah. how do we have those conversations with, with leadership in a really responsible way? How are you thinking about that? You know, at a very practical level, there are things like just using reclaimed wood or there are things like taking chairs that another company is getting rid of and then repurposing them. And we've done all these things, right, Um, in either our own offices or for our clients. And I think that a lot of it is, is, and, you know, putting green in the space so that you have the, 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 you know, the fresh air, but you also have just the environment coming in with you, those kinds right. of things, right? And and it is also taking care of your employees and your people's well-being and what are you putting in place for that? So I think at a very practical level, those are the kinds of things that we have to do. And then we also have the building systems, right? And let's bring technology back again. Yeah. We have building systems that monitor what's happening proactively so that we can, you know, if something busts and next thing you know, you're, you're, you're putting more fumes and whatnot into the environment where if we had been looking at this and proactively monitoring, we can actually use our predictive systems to say when different things need to be replaced with maybe the roof or your HVAC. And so I feel like implementing and Again, JLL, you know, we've been investing in companies. We have a a section of our company that is a global venture capital fund, right? And so we invest in companies that offer these kinds of things that help us be smarter in the operations of buildings. And that's where a lot of this comes from, right? Yeah. Is is the operation of buildings. So when you in in the scope of what JLL looks at in terms of partnerships and MA, that's would you say that that is a one of the one of the, I guess, kind of premier thoughts that you're having right now as a company? And I I, I don't want to ask you to speak for the entire company at large, but what's your line of sight on that? Is that um, in terms of talent acquisition, we know that, you know, new young talent and some older talent too, they really care. Uh, They're asking those hard questions about what are you doing to offset your, you know, your emissions. And um, is that a big part of your M&A focuses? Oh, it's it's incredibly big, yes. And I mean, specifically around this, we just acquired Building Engines a few months ago, which does exactly this in terms of a building operations and how do you do it in a smarter fashion. Um, we've also acquired Hank or, or uh, invested in Hank, which is another one that's all about you know more efficient building operations and whatnot. And and they definitely have their differences. But what I'm saying is is that. Yes, that is a very big focus for us. And not just from an investment area of other companies and and products, but also like our own, what we're focusing on internally, you know, we're focusing on what are, what are sustainable tech products that we should be looking at and introducing and creating ourselves maybe to bring to our clients. In terms of like meeting hygiene, are there any things that, you know, I was having a conversation with uh, Tracy Hawkins at, at, at Twitter we were on a Cornet panel together and and I just, one of the things she said that Twitter does 
I just love so much. And it's so easy to do. They call it um, one tweet, one screen. And so no matter where you are, even if you're in a conference room, um, which is such a problematic place to have virtual calls, right? Because you can never really tell who asked the question and Correct. you don't really know who's in the room. And, and so what they do is no matter where you are, you have your, your screen on, you have, you have your laptop and that way everyone can see your name. And I think she even mentioned that they also have uh, where that person sits. So, you oh. know, their region or their city or their studio or office do you have any any kind of meeting hygiene tips that that you all use? I do. I like that though because that cool? that is one of the hardest things is that and and that's why we say the same thing like when we're even doing webinars, we encourage the speakers to not be in the same room because then you're just a tiny little square and it you can see right. the table in the room more than you can see the people in the room. <laughs> but you know, speaking of, I, I love this question because yes, the answer is yes. Um, there's, there's, we have even a meeting manifesto that we've created that is, cool. is, it's even things like respecting boundaries of, you know, everything is blurred with people working from home, right? Mm. Um, and the hours that people work and those kinds of things. So it's making sure that we're respecting people's time. And so regardless of um, where in the world people are, someone feeling empowered to say that's midnight my time and I'm just not going to be able to do it. Could yeah. we please reschedule as opposed to I'm not high enough on the totem pole to ask them to change it. I'm lucky enough to even be invited. That's one thing. Another uh, yeah. is making sure that everybody's opinion is heard. And my boss, who's the global CIO, he sets this example for us. And, and, you know, like he'll go around the room and I haven't said anything. I mean, I'm, I'm, not shy, but I haven't said anything because I don't feel that I have an opinion that really, you know, this isn't, not everything is my area. So yeah. maybe I have an opinion from one side of the table, but it might not be something that could be game changing. And yet my boss will go around and include me and everybody else on the call to just say, making sure we heard from you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And particularly people who aren't on video because it's four o'clock in the morning for them. And it was nice that they even got on the call this yeah. weekend, you know. So there's just. I feel like it might be saying common sense things, but people don't feel empowered unless they see the managers and leaders demonstrating that same behavior. You're right. Push back. And, and to your point of common sense, I mean, so much of what we do and have done runs counter to common sense. We have to, we have so much muscle memory, you know, yes. bad meeting hygiene and, you know, uh, and things pressure. that we gotta, Yeah, we gotta, we gotta break those. Um, and to your point about leadership doing that, you know, when they do it and uh, we model, you know, our, our teams model that. It's really important to, and it, you know, I, I'm on, I serve on a board of uh, directors for a nonprofit. And one of the things that I love that our chair of the board does, uh, we go around for every call, whether it's in person or, or virtual, and she asks a really human question. Best thing you ate all weekend. We just get, it takes, it takes 90 seconds and it, it brings everyone into the conversation. It loosens everyone up and it humanizes us. And so um, thanks for sharing with me your the hygiene. And, and I'm, I'm excited that you like the Twitter hygiene as well. I just think that's so fun. Okay, so I could talk to you all day long, Pushba. Um, you are so fun to talk to. I want to, now that we're warmed up, I want to ask you a couple of questions. And one of them is, 
Uh, at Groundbreakers, we like to know what's your weird. What's your weird is an exploration of what is a weird factoid that is unfindable or ungoogleable about you out there on the web. What's your weird, Pushpa? What's my weird? Uh, I don't think you'll find this easily, but I'm an adrenaline seeker. I mean, you might not come as any surprise now that you've been talking to me. <laughs> but if we had started the conversation that way, it would have been yeah. weird. Um, no, I, I like um, zip lining, bungee jumping, skydiving, uh, parasailing, you know, oh any, any, anything. I definitely want to go to space, you know, like all. <laughs> that was going to be my question. So I was at dinner last night with a couple of my Unispace colleagues. And someone asked, would you go to outer space? And I was like, uh, in a minute, in a, in a heartbeat. Do you think, do you I mean, think I'm you, stick, that's why I've it? stuck around my industry for 25 years, commercial real estate. Where else is my, do I have chances, a better chance of going to space <laughs> than if we open up commercial real estate in outer space? So right. um, I'm banking on, you know, being in the right industry and sticking around until the right time. You'll tell your your CIO, I have to go. We're, you know. we're having a, an ERG meeting on the moon. Now, um, first, I need to make it to Antarctica because I want to hit all the continents first here on Earth. But yes. <laughs> How many countries have you been to? Countries? Uh, probably close to 50. Whoa. And I would say about half of them are through the company and the work that I've done over the years and, and the places I've been able to go. Yeah. Isn't it so great to get to see the world through our work? Mm -hmm. to, you know, I've been lucky to go. I think I'm at like 37 countries and I push, but it has built me. You know, I grew up on a farm in Kansas and being able to put my feet down on concrete and sand and rock and grass all over the planet has really made me who I am. And, you know, one of the exciting things about being at a global company, you know, like JLL, like Unispace, our team members have an opportunity to see the world. And it's, um, uh, it's really, I, I'm, I'm excited that you, I think you will go to space. I just have this little <laughs> prediction. I also want to ask you about, um, and I'm sure you have no shortage of anecdotes around this, but surely you had a most challenging experience event in, in your professional career. And, and, you know, as much as our triumphs build us, and if you're like me, our, you know, our valleys build us as well and our challenges build us. Do you, do you recall what can you talk about one of the more challenging moments, whether it be an interpersonal, an interpersonal relationship or something that that happened? Can you talk to us a little bit about that and, and kind of how you navigated that? And, and do you think about that event a lot? Because I know I think about my, you know, the, the events that built me so yes. often, almost every day. Well, there's one that really has guided me in many ways. And this goes back about 20 years ago, uh, or maybe, yeah, about 15, 20 years ago. And I had a boss and I was still in the sales world back then. And I had a boss that I adored and we were working side by side. I was basically his COO and he gave me my review. And when he gave me my review, it was pretty glowing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then he gave me my raise and my bonus. And he was so excited to give it to me with the numbers. And like he had really pushed for it. Right. But I was expecting more. Mm -hmm. And so when he delivered the news and he's so happy and I'm sitting here like, why are you happy? Right. Because right. <laughs> I'm and disappointed I, and a little mad. Yeah. And then, yeah. It, and then I realized, but 
he didn't know what my expectations were. So here he is doing what he can. So from that point, it started, and that happens usually in like around the March timeframe that you have these conversations. So from that point on, I started remembering in November to have the conversation with no matter who my manager is, Mm -hmm. if there is to come to an agreement on here's how I think I've performed for the year. And so here's basically what I'm expecting. And it doesn't have to be a solid number, but it just has to be like, here's what I'm expecting, Mm -hmm. right? And then you know whether or not there's a disconnect and you know early. And then your manager also knows, don't come blowing any kind of story. Right. (laughs) Like here's what the facts were. But if people don't know what you expect and you don't ask for it, how Mm -hmm. will you get it? And that is something that women and anybody in the workforce, quite frankly, goes through. There are so many of us where personality wise, and I was in that boat and I had to learn to get out of it. But personality wise, we focus on the work. We focus on doing a really good job and we don't focus on marketing ourselves or making sure that it's landed correctly because we know we've done it. So everybody else must know too including our manager. Right. And we're, we're more uh, hesitant to wave our own flag and, and, you know, cheer for ourselves. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. you've seen the studies on, you know, a a man is more likely to apply for a job that he knows he's not qualified for. Like six out of 10 things will be missing and it's still good enough. And And women will have eight out of 10 and they'll think they're not qualified. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a manager, that that kind of experience you had with your boss um, where he just didn't know your expectation as you, you know, continue in your career and as you're managing people, do you do you talk to them about that experience? Do you sh- regularly tidbit? Yeah. That's regularly. So cool. And I, yeah. I, I've told it on, you know, uh, uh, other webinars that I've done and individuals and absolutely, because it really is important to me to to. To let people know that, you know, there's no reason not to talk about these things. We get really shy about, you know, making sure that we're compensated properly or recognized properly, but we had no problem doing the work. And the thing about it is only us usually know what really went into it. And so in some ways, it's not bragging about yourself. It's clarifying and making sure that others are on the same page. All right. Here is the fire round portion of Groundbreakers. Um, don't spend a lot of time thinking about the answers, if, if you don't mind. Pushpa, do you believe in ghosts? I don't think so. <laughs> What's your karaoke song, Pushpa? Oh, something in the background. I don't do that. You don't? <laughs> what is your biggest fear? I, I, I don't really have fears. I'll deal with it when it happens. And I believe in being as prepared as possible. And then you just got to roll with it. Fear is too par- uh, paralyzing. Got it. Got it. Love it. I don't if feel like I'm to, doing very good at this rapid round. You're, yet. Doing, you're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> if you were to write a book, what would this mm. book be about? Ooh, I think the book would be about the, 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 it would be about pushpa stories. Um, we call them pushpa problems. There's a hashtag pushpa problems and some friends. Wait, of mine even what? Got- you buried <laughs> so- the lead pushpa. You have a hashtag? <laughs> it used to be push for problems because it was like, who else do these things happen to? And they're not really that bad. They're just sort of like, come on, right? right Especially right. traveling around the world and, and whatnot. And then more recently, it's been a lot more of luck. And so mm-hmm. we've changed it into hashtag pushpa life uh, because, mm-hmm. again, who else do these things happen to <laughs> in right, a good right. way? So, uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> 
Push for problems. Push yes. for life. I love it. It could be like you are glit. You cause electronics to be glitchy. I'm um, sure and, that would be and, in there, <laughs> right? And so our listeners don't know, but when we uh, started to record today, Pushpa's um, microphone just stopped working, and she was like, "This is just me. This is <laughs> this just happens to me." And I'm a tech person. Um, who, last, who happens to have a backup microphone? Who? That's right. I mean, that's <laughs> that's push for life right there. Hashtag push for life. Number five of the fire round. What is your favorite show to binge watch? Ooh, leverage. It's not even a show that's on anymore. Uh, it was on it? TNT, maybe like, I don't know, probably almost 10 years ago, although they did have a, a new season last year. It's, it's basically a, a, it's a bunch of crooks that have come together and now they're almost like Robin Hood for people who get, you know, taken down by big corporations or rich people and they can't fight back. And, and so they run a scam and, and it's just, there's not a lot of violence or killing or anything like that, but it's very smart, clever. And then they also have a lot of sarcasm thrown in, which I appreciate. This tracks, this tracks. Um, okay. I love it. You did great. You, you nailed it. So my final question, it's a section that we call, if I could, I would, for example, if I could, I would draw, I would be able to draw and I would be able to dance. If you could, Pushpa, what would you do? You're not even going to have an answer because you can do everything. Well, no, what I was going to say is it's not what I could do so much as like, if there was something I wanted to do, then, and and I really want to do it, then I would learn to do it. Right. Or I'd figure out a way to do it. But what I wish I had known was how much I like broadcasting and 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 those kinds of things. So this is very different for me to be the guest. I'm normally the one doing all the interviewing. Oh, I know. And, oh, and- I know. I've watched. <laughs> but I didn't know that was a passion until about five or six years ago. And yeah. so had I known, like, I really, I think I would have done a lot more in broadcasting communications, quite frankly. Yeah, well... Somehow I feel like if you want to do it, you're going to put it into action and JLL oh, will pay you. you to do it. I mean, because <laughs> this is how you roll. Um, listen, Pushba, I want to, I want to thank you so much. Um, Pushba Gauda, the global technology engagement director for JLL. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Thank you, Shelly. It was my pleasure. I Let's learned do a lot it again. too. <laughs> I hope so. And let me interview you next time because I, there's so much more I want to learn. Let's do it. I mean, I'm I'm telling you, we are. I'm. I want to be in your friendship circle now. I hope. Yep. Uh, I hope you'll let me in. This is all it took. You're in. Thanks for tuning into Groundbreakers, y'all. It's been a pleasure. A special thanks to the behind the scenes folks that share my passion and vision for our Groundbreakers series. Writer and producer Caroline Jones, engineer Michael Pelliquin, and the Airs Next and Unispace teams. Despite the many ways our careers and lives may differ, we are all affected by how our environments impact diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. We all have so much to learn from one another, and I appreciate you taking this ride with me. Don't forget to subscribe to Groundbreakers. Tune in and share with your colleagues, your friends, and your families. Talk soon.